All right. If you have uh, been tracking with us, we are deep into our series, Christian, and uh, we've kind of been talking about the difference between this label Christian and a Jesus follower or a disciple of Jesus, and, uh, and the difference between those two things is so interesting because Jesus never referred to his followers as Christian. In fact, you only find Christian in the Bible three times, and uh, when you read some extra biblical literature, it was actually a derogatory term that outsiders um, would call this these people that get, that thought that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and uh, and so interesting because people hide behind Christian. In fact, you can hide behind Christian your entire life, and many people do. They hide behind the the word Christian, and 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 they're thinking, you know, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But now I just want to do whatever I want to do, wherever I want to do it, and leave me alone on that stuff because I don't really want to follow him. I don't really want to be a disciple of his. I just want to go to heaven when I die and do whatever I want. So that's kind of what you know. We hide behind Christian a lot, and uh, and you know, he was thinking about this, and he was like, "Ah, I don't know if there's really a difference. Um, if you, uh, if you don't really think there's a difference, here's what I would challenge you to do. When you show up to work tomorrow, um, you just say, hey guys, before we kind of get going here, I just wanted to let you know I have a new label. I just am a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> and see how that goes. And, and see if you don't think there's a little bit more accountability with that. Um, because it raises the stakes, doesn't it? Because Although Christian is never really, it's never defined in the scriptures, a Jesus follower or a disciple of Jesus, it is, it is terrifyingly defined in the New Testament as you open up the pages of the New Testament and read. And one of the things that we as Jesus followers, we as disciples of Jesus, we, we, we struggle with this tension and, and we should never resolve it, but we struggle with this tension of truth and grace. We, we, we struggle with the tension, and, and John, the Apostle John, he was like, man, if I could describe Jesus, and he's sitting back thinking about all of the years that he spent with Jesus, and, and all of the conversations, and all of the things that he saw Jesus do, and he's like, guys, I, I don't, I mean, how do you describe it? It's impossible to describe. In fact, he said, if there was books written about everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to hold all the books. That's what John said. He's like, so if I'm going to narrow it all the way down to three words, he's just like, truth and grace, that was Jesus. Truth and grace, he, he wasn't sometimes grace and sometimes truth. He was, he was the embodiment of both. He was full of both, full on all the time. And, and, and we, we should, as Jesus followers and as, a, as a, a church that follows Jesus, we should never resolve that. And some Christians, they, they want to kind of go towards the, you know what, um, rule following, hey, I, I do it all right, and I'm, the, I'm, you know, and you're getting it wrong, and, and, uh, and then others go to all grace, you just do whatever you want to do. You know, and some of you, you, you know which home you grew up in because you grew up in either a truth home or a grace home or, and you maybe grew up in a church that was a truth church or a grace church, right? And you, you would be able to, if we had a conversation, you'd be like, I could tell you which church I grew up in or which kind of a home you grew up in. And uh, maybe your parents were like, woo, hard on, on the truth, 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 truth. And some of you, you grew up in a home where it was like, 
just don't get caught and get put in jail. That's, that's all, you know, that's, that's as high as the bar right there. And you're thinking, whoa, you know. Um, but all of us, as Jesus followers, we, we struggle with this tension. And we should never try to resolve it. And, and, and Jesus, so interesting, he, uh, he, he addresses this very issue. And, uh, and, he, and he's talking to a very diverse group of people. Have you ever tried to um, say something, and maybe it's, you know, family, and you kind of know how this, how this side of the family, how they kind of think, and, and kind of the way they view the world, and, and then there's the other part of your family that doesn't view the world that way at all, and they're just like completely different, and they're all in the same room, and you so want to be able to communicate something to them, but you just know if you just go right to the point neither one of them are going to take it right, and so you don't know how to approach it. And that's exactly where Jesus finds himself. And Luke records for us this narrative out of Luke chapter 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, Luke 15 verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, not regular sinners, just, you know, notorious sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. And uh, if you've been coming to uh, our Theopraxis group, one of the first things of reading the Scripture is observation. And, uh, and I think if you did a really good job of observation of this verse, there is an incredible amount that we could take from this by itself, individually and as a church. How in the world is it possible that tax collectors who had their own category, it was kind of like notorious sinners were like, well, we might be notorious sinners. We're not even regular sinners. We're notorious sinners, but at least we're not tax collectors. They're the bottom of the barrel, right? How in the world could the bottom of the barrel tax collectors and notorious sinners come and listen to Jesus teach? Why would they? They didn't have anything in common They didn't view the world the same. They didn't see the world the same. They didn't believe the same. They didn't look through the same lens. I mean, they had nothing in common, and yet they felt welcome enough to come and listen to Jesus teach. I think we could learn something from this. That's incredible. I think as churches, this this should characterize us. That we have people come who really, they don't believe the way that we believe. They don't see the world the way that we see the world. But there's kind of like, they're, they're just, there's just something about those people. There's just something about those people that I don't believe at all, but I'm coming back next week and listening to some more. I just think we could learn something from this. It's so interesting. He goes on. As you could imagine, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, or the lawyers, complain that he, Jesus, was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Oh. Right? Which in the Jewish world, if, if, you, were, if you were Jewish, this, that would be a really big deal to you. You're like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. You don't. You don't associate with them, you don't, you don't have anything to do with them, you don't eat with them, you don't do anything with them. And, 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 and all of a sudden you have these two groups of people, the notorious sinners and the tax collectors, the Pharisees, the do-gooders, the rule followers, and the uh, religious lawyers, and they, they have nothing in common. 
Nothing. They don't see the world the same. They don't like one another. And Jesus, they're both sitting there, and Jesus is like, okay, how do I communicate to them what, what, what their heavenly Father is like? And there's a point I want to make, but if I just come right out and say the point, I'm going to lose them both. And they're not going to understand, and they're not going to be able to have the emotion wrapped around it. And so Jesus, who's absolutely brilliant, he's the brilliant communicator. He's like, I know, I'm going to tell him a par- I'm going to tell him a story. A parable is a fictitious, made-up story. Jesus would just make up a story to make one point. And he would involve his audience into the story to where they could feel the emotion of it and they would both be able to relate to it. And so he starts in with a parable. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Well, the notorious sinners were like, we go look for it. And the Pharisees were like, that's right. In fact, hey, that's the first time you and I have ever agreed on anything. We would both go look for it. See, Jesus is brilliant. All of a sudden, he involves them into something they both, they both look at the same. And in fact, all of a sudden, two groups of people who have nothing in common, they've never agreed with one another, all of a sudden, they're both shaking their heads the same. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Jesus is phenomenal. And they're like, yeah, the teachers of religious law, yeah, we'd, we'd go look for it. The notorious sinners, yeah, we'd go look tax we'd, we'd go look for it. And Jesus is like, in the same way, this is what your heavenly Father does. When, when someone is lost to him, he wants, he's looking for them. He is out searching for them. He wants them to be found. He wants to be with them. And there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who was lost to God but then is found than all of the others who have been found. There's more rejoicing over that to which the Pharisees are kind of thinking, I don't know about that for sure. And then the notorious sinners are kind of throwing off thinking, really? You mean there's a chance? Wow. Can you tell me more? And so Jesus, he goes on and says, hey, it's like your heavenly father is like, it's, it's like a, a gal who has some coins that are really, really valuable to her. And, and, and I was thinking, man, we can't really relate to the coin thing. Um, so I was thinking, what, how, you know, how could, what would be something in our culture that we would, could relate to? And it's kind of like, okay, wives, you lost your wedding ring and you know which room it's in, but you can't find it. Ooh, Okay. All right, we're tearing this place apart, right? Because we're going to find it. That's, 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 that's the emotion. That's the connection that Jesus has just made with them. And it's like, if you lost this coin that was that valuable, if you lost your wedding ring, wouldn't you tear the, the whole place apart looking for it? And all of the, the notorious sinners are kind of like, yeah, my, I mean, if my wife did that, I, she would make me remove all the furniture. We would go through everything. We would be looking for it. And, and the tax collector, that's right. And the, and the Pharisees kind of like, yep, that's my, and they're all shaking their heads saying, yep, that's what we would do. We would be looking for it. In the same way, in the same way, your heavenly father, when someone is lost to him, and is not with him when he is found and he is with him again. 
or maybe with him for the very first time. It's the same way. And when you find that coin or you find that wedding ring and and it's been lost, there's great rejoicing and there's great relief and there's a great celebration. In the same way, when someone is lost to God, when they're lost to their Heavenly Father and brought back, there is great rejoicing. And then he goes into a third parable, a third story that Jesus made up, fictitious story to make a point. And many of you, I'm sure, and if you're watching, you know part, at least part of this story. Um, you may not know the ending of the story, but you may have heard the first part of the story. So there was a father who had two sons. The older son, who was the rule follower, right? Because uh, parents um, tend to make their oldest children the rule followers because they are determined to make them the perfect child, right? And then there's the younger rebellious ch- child. See, they're watching online. They're not even in the room, right? That's how rebellious they are. And, uh, and, and, and kind of like, you know, so they have the rule follower and then the rebellious child. I was not the rebellious child, even though I was the youngest all right. So anyway, <clears throat> moving on. Um, so, you know, the, you have these two brothers and the youngest child, and I was thinking, how can I describe it to you in a way that you capture the emotion that Jesus' audience captured? And basically, this is what he says to his dad. He comes up to his dad. He's like, hey, dad, um, man, <clears throat> you know I don't really know how to say this except just come, kind of come right out and say it. Uh, I really want my inheritance. I really want my inheritance. And so um, in order for me to get my inheritance, could, could we just pretend that you're dead? Because you just won't die. You just won't die. So could you just pretend like you're dead? Because I want my inheritance. If you just pretended like you're dead, I would take my inheritance and then go and do whatever I want with it. At this point in Jesus' story, the notorious sinners are appalled. The Pharisees are appalled. The tax collectors are appalled. The, the religious leaders, the lawyers, they're, they're appalled. They're all appalled. It's like, how in the world could a son do that? How low can you possibly go? How unjust, how, how unhonoring. How disrespectful for a son. And they all feel the same exact way that you in the room and you watching right now are feeling. How disrespectful could that be? How could a son ever, ever do that? And just say, hey, dad, and have the gall to tell his dad, hey, let's pretend like you're dead. I want my inheritance. Well, Jesus goes on in the story and The dad's like, okay, well, if that's what you want. And so he starts selling some of his property and selling some of his equipment and selling some of the things that he has. And he he comes up with half the inheritance and he gives it to his son. And his son's like, thank you very much. See you later. And off he goes. He's going to go to the city. He's going to go live high and mighty. And so he's living in the the Greek word is, is lavish or wild. It's lavish living, wild living. It's, it's living way beyond his means. His expected life expectancy and the way that he was spending weren't going to meet at the end. 
He was going to run out of funds before he ever got close. And all of a sudden, a famine came, and the son runs out of money. The lavishness ends, the wildness ends, and now he doesn't have anything, and he's starving to death, and the only job that he can find is a with a pig farmer to feed pigs. And all of you who tend to gravitate towards the the, rule-following, you know, truth side, along with all of the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, are like, good. May that be the story for the rest of his life. That's what he deserves. He He got what's coming to him. He reaped what he sowed. That's what he deserves. Good. I hope he does that the rest of his life. He's going to pay. (laughs) And in all of the the religious leaders and and the Pharisees and and, and, in Jesus' audience are are thinking, yep, oh, this is is going to be great. This is is good. And we catch up with, with the story in Luke 15, verse 17. When he, being the younger son, finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So he's kind of thinking, man, even the guys working for dad, I mean, they have a a lot better off than I do. I wonder if I could just go home and just work for him instead of working for this guy who's not paying me enough to live. So he's thinking to himself, you ever thought to yourself and kind of ran through your mind the script, what you're going to say? This is what, I will go home to my father and say, and he's, he's rehearsing it in his mind, Father, I have sinned. Another, I, haven't made, I haven't made a mistake. I'm not a mistaker. I have sinned. I knew what I was doing. I did it anyway. I have sinned against both heaven. I, I've sinned against God and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Based on my performance, I do not deserve to be called your son anymore. And so I'm not asking to be called your son. I just want to be a, you know, I just want to be a hired man and get and and be able to, to eat and live a little bit. So I I'm not asking for the same position. Based on my performance, I don't deserve the same position. I just thinking, man, life would be a little better than I have it now. So he returned home to his father, and while he he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And those of you who know the story, you already know the ending. But Jesus' audience didn't know the ending and the Pharisees were like, no, you, Jesus, you should have ended it. You should have ended it as, and he fed pigs the rest of his life. And they're still thinking, well, I know what his father's going to say. What are you doing here? You're not welcome here. You just turn around and get your hide out of here. You're not my son. I don't know who you are. But you're not welcome here. Let's get out. You don't deserve to be here. You're not welcome here. You get out of here. And the Pharisees and teachers of religious law are like, yeah, 
Jesus. That's what, he, that's what he's going to say. That's what he's going to say. And the notorious sinners and the tax collectors are like, huh, I wonder, I, I think that's probably what he's going to say. Because, I mean, that's what he deserves. So I, I, I think maybe that's what he's going to, what, what is he going to say? <laughs> and so they, Jesus builds this tension and then says, his father was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. To which Jesus' audience at this point, especially the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, are really confused. They're like, okay, whoa, 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 what? What? No, 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 no. Because in, in, in your stories, Jesus, I, I think the Father represents God, because someone always represents God in your stories. And then someone always re- represents your audience, represents us. And so we were thinking as Pharisees and teachers of religious law that, that the Father represented God and the, the, the Son represented the notorious sinners and the tax collectors. So you're confusing us with this love and compassion thing. What's that about? Well, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both God, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I'm no longer worthy of that position, of that title. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Quick? Really? Quick? Don't you think we should kind of take it easy for a little bit? Don't you think we should think, you know, does he really mean it? I mean, is he really sorry? Or is he just, you know, trying to mooch a little bit more off? Quick? Really? Is that what our Heavenly Father, his life? Quick. And kill the calf we have been fattening. In other words, we've been fattening a calf for a specific uh, festival, a specific uh, uh, event that that we have. Maybe it's a graduation. Maybe it was a wedding. And they would have fattened the calf for a specific event. And and the father's like, forget the event. This is so much bigger. Let's kill the calf. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Invite the neighbors. Invite the town. Invite everyone. Invite family. Bring them all in. Well, the older brother, meanwhile, all of the, the party has started. There's dancing and, and music going on. And, and I mean, there's unbelievable music. And, and, and I don't know if they had subs like we have. Um, bummer for them if they didn't. But anyway, I, I'm just telling you, it was loud. It was great. And, and the son, the oldest son, he's off in the field. He's off in the field working. And after work, he's coming. He's walking home and he's like, What's with all the music? And what's with all, did I, did I miss the memo? What, what's going on? So he asks a servant, hey, what's going on? What, what's the music all about? What's, well, haven't you heard? Your brother came home. Your brother came home. Your father's throwing a party because your brother came home. <laughs> the older brother was, what would you be? 
what would you be? What do you think he was? He was thrilled to death. He's thrilled that his brother came home. He was angry. You ever met any angry Christians? They just, they're just angry. It's like they like being angry. And, and the longer they're a Christian, the angrier they become. The older they get, the angrier they get. You ever been around some of these? In, in fact, maybe this is why you walked away. Maybe, maybe, have you ever encountered some disputatious, word of the day, disputatious Christians? They're just angry. They're just like, hmm. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like they're, they're glad there's a hell and they have some suggestions of who might want to go there. Angry Christians. And you know why they're angry? Jesus goes on to kind of reveal a little bit of what's going on in the brother's heart. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him to come in. And his father's kind of like, hey, you and your brother are just alike. See, your brother's on the other side of the house, and he won't come in because he doesn't think he's worthy of coming in. He doesn't want to come to the party because he doesn't feel like he's worthy. He doesn't feel like, you know, his performance is worthy of the position to come to the party, and you're on the other side of the house, and you agree with your, your younger brother. That's right. You don't. So the older brother says to his dad, all these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. You know why he was angry? It's the same reason why some of you might be angry. and Maybe some of you who are watching might be angry. And I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. I'm going to make some of you angry. But my job is to love you enough to tell you the truth. And if that makes your feelings towards me bitter, then it does. The reason the older brother was angry and the reason why maybe you struggle with anger is you are self-righteous. The older brother is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I've done this and this and this and this and this. And that little twerp, he just comes home and you throw a party for him. And it's the same thing that we do with God. God, I have served you, I have been faithful, I have given, I have done this, I have done that, I have done this other thing, and I look over there at that person, and then I look over there at that person, and you're giving them the very things that I want. I deserve them, and you're not giving them to me. Self-righteous. It's not like Jesus. 
That's where the older son is at. He's struggling with anger because he thinks it's about his performance. And based on my performance, here's what you owe me. Based on my performance, God, here's what you need to give to me. And the father, <laughs> the father says something that just completely throws him off. But the, 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 the oldest son, before he gets there, he says, he says, yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money, he squandered what it took you a lifetime, Dad, to accumulate. He just squandered it in a short period of time. And on prostitutes, I hate to tell you, you celebrate? Really? You celebrate by, by killing the fattened calf? <laughs> Are you kidding me? And the father says, my son, you are always with me. To which the older brother's like, what does that have to do with anything? What? Are you changing the subject? Did you not just hear how unequal, how, how, how unequal this is and how unjust this is? To which the father's like, I've heard it. I get it. But here's the thing. You and your brother are just alike. You think it's about your performance. And you think you have performed enough. And your brother's on the other side of the house. You have performed so well, and you know what? You agree with your young. He does not deserve it, so you're not going to go to the party. And you know what? He doesn't think he deserves it, and he thinks it's based on his performance. You're on both ends of the, sp of, of the spectrum thinking that it's all about your performance, and he's like, it has nothing to do with your performance. What in the world does with me have anything to do with anything? It has everything to do with it. It's the point of the parable. You think performance is what gets you with me. It has nothing to do with your performance. I want you to be with me. Your, your younger brother was gone. He was, he was lost to me, but now he is found. He's with me. And you know what? You have always been with me, and that is what I've always wanted, is for you to be with me. So you, you think it's about the performance, and you don't want to go to the party because of performance. I want to celebrate because you're with me. Which is exactly the way your heavenly father is like. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. I I'm not splitting everything back up again. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. He was lost to me. He wasn't with me. But now he's been found. He's, he's with me. Which is my deepest heart's desire. See, sometimes when we don't understand this, this tension of truth and grace, we gravitate towards just truth. It's, 
It's like, based on my performance, God, you owe me this. And sometimes, if you're a prodigal, you're thinking, there's not enough grace in the world. And based on my performance, I don't deserve. And so, God, I I just think I'm out. I'm not going to have a position anymore. I'm not worthy of it. Both sides are not the way your heavenly Father sees the world or operates. He wants you to be with him. That's his greatest desire. You say, what, but what about sin? What are you going to do with sin? <laughs> One, I'm going to die for it. And two, does it, doesn't, doesn't sin make God angry? He's angry with me. The level of how God likes me is to the level of the degree to which I perform. No. God isn't angry with you about your sin. He's heartbroken. You know why he's heartbroken? Because sin has a gotcha. And when it gets you, it's going to bring pain into your life. And he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to experience the pain. And so it breaks his heart. He's not angry. See, I was just telling you, Jesus' audience is just like, So you're saying God isn't anything like I thought he was. Both from the notorious sinner side, do I don't deserve it, to the teacher of religious law, I'm better than you. <laughs> See, there is nothing you have done or you could do to make God love you less. It's not. And if you think it's all about performance, then Jesus, according to this story and parable, would say you've missed it. His desire is that if you are away, and some of you are away, his greatest desire is that you would come back and you would be with him. And some of you who tend to go down that self-righteous path, he wants you to repent because you think you're with him, but but you're not. And he wants you to come back and be with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, whew, this is so much easier to teach than to live out. And I know that uh, there's been times when I have uh, been way more truth than I should have been. And I did that as a husband. I have done that as a father. I have done that as an employer. And then, God, sometimes there's, there's times when uh, I, I, I probably have, have been more grace than I should have been. And I didn't speak up and should have, or I let something go that I shouldn't have. But, God, I thank you that I know you don't make any errors. But I feel like you made an error when it came to me and gave me grace.
So thank you. Thank you for that. And I pray for however this lands on, on people today. God, there's, there's going to be some self-righteous ones that are going to have to do some self-reflection, and, and it's going to stink. That's going to be hard. But I pray that you would give them the courage to do it. And you would reveal to their heart that they, your desire is that they would be with you. And there are some today who, man, they need to come home and confess to their parents the stuff they've been doing. And they need to make things right. God, I pray that they would come back to you as well and be with you. May that be the heartbeat of our church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for uh, watching this morning and uh, joining in online. So glad that you have done that. Um, so a, a few things that I was thinking about uh, and wrestling with, and of course, you're, you're trying to cram a lot of information down into 30 minutes, and uh, that's about impossible to do. It's like, well, doesn't, what do you do about sin? I mean, some of you, and, and, and I get it, it's like if you land on, on the truth side and you're kind of one of those first, like, oh, that's, he, isn't that unjust? I mean, doesn't sin make God angry? And, and here's what I would say to you. I think sin breaks God's heart. It's not so much anger. It's, he, it breaks God's heart. Um, and sin already comes prepackaged with a gotcha. There, there's already kind of a prepackaged penalty when we sin. And, and that sin ultimately is going to hurt us and it's going to hurt others. And so... You know, our, our Father in Heaven's kind of like, not so much, you know, you're sin and I get, you know, and I'm angry with you about that. It's like, no, as, as my son, as my daughter, that's good, that breaks my heart because that sin has a gotcha and, it, and it's going to get you. And I don't want it to get you. And when it does get you, you know what? You're going to be in pain. And it's going to cause pain for you and it's going to cause pain for others. So I think, I think this, this parable teaches, teaches me anyway God's position and kind of posture towards, um, towards us is not so much anger uh, uh, towards us at all as much as, man, when we live in a lifestyle of sin or we li- choose to live apart from Him rather than with Him, um, it breaks His heart. And, uh, and He desires um, for us to be with Him. Um, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's true that Sin comes with a gotcha. And I think if you've lived enough life, you, you, we, we know that that is true. And uh, so no matter which side of it you come from, and maybe you're, you're on the side of saying, man, I've done so many things. I, I just can't imagine that it's not performance. How could God not either be you know, happy with me or angry with me based on my performance? And, uh, and I hope you wrestle with that. I, I really do, because that's the thing that's so intriguing about truth and grace that just makes me want to know Jesus more. Because he loves me enough to tell me the truth, but he does it in such a way that it convinces me he's for me. He's not against me. And I think we as Jesus followers, we as disciples of Jesus, we have so much to learn by those two things, 
that, yeah, we still hold on to truth, and yes, we, we will uh, tell the truth, no matter how difficult that, that is, and no matter how that makes someone feel towards me, but can I say it in a way, can my approach be in such a way that, that somebody knows that I'm for them, I'm not against them, and that, that uh, they're granting me influence into their life. It, it really is one of the biggest things for us as parents. It's one of the biggest things for us as Jesus followers in our homes, in our marriage, in our you know, neighborhoods, in, in the places where we work, um, in your school. Uh, I, I'm just telling you, we interact with this every single day. And may we learn what it looks like, that tension that we should never resolve. It should never just be all grace. It should never just all be, be truth. May it all be both embodied together. So, crossing, I hope that you stay dry today. I hope no one's basement fills up with water. Um, and know that uh, the staff loves you and we're praying for you. And uh, we look forward um, to having you uh, gather with us uh, in person at some point, um, whenever that might happen. And that's going to be an awesome time. So have a great week. Follow Jesus this week.